Chapter 20. A smaller limousine delivered the Coconut Cove Mayor, Councilman Bruce Grandy, and the Chamber of Commerce President to the construction site. A satellite truck from a Naples television station came next, followed by a newspaper photographer. City workers tied red, white, and blue streamers to the fence and hung a hand-lettered banner that said, Welcome, Mother Paula. At 10 minutes to noon, Roy and Beatrice arrived. This time, she rode the handlebars and he pedaled. The camera stowed safely in his backpack. They were startled to see that there weren't the only ones to show up. The freckled-faced boy, the red-haired girl, and at least half of Mr. Ryan's history class were already there, along with a bunch of parents. What in the world did you say to those kids yesterday? Beatrice asked. You promise them free flapjacks or something? I just talked about the owls, that's all, Roy said. He got another pleasant surprise when a van from the Trace Middle School Athletic Department rolled up and Beatrice's soccer team piled out, some of them carrying posters. Roy grinned at Beatrice, who shrugged as if it was no big deal. They scanned the growing crowd but saw no sign of her runaway stepbrother. There was no sign of the owls either, which didn't surprise Roy. With so much noise and human commotion, the birds would likely stay underground where it was safe and dark. Roy knew that's what the pancake people were betting on, that the owls would be too frightened to venture out. At quarter past twelve, the the door of the construction trailer swung open. First to emerge was the policeman whom Roy recognized as Officer Delinko. Then the bald construction foreman with the rotten temper. Then the snooty-looking guy with silver hair and dorky sunglasses. The last to come out was the woman who played Mother Paula on the TV commercials. She wore a shiny gray wig, wire-rimmed glasses, and a calico apron. A few people clapped in recognition, and she waved half-heartedly. The group marched to a rectangular clearing, that had been roped off in the center of the construction site. A megaphone was handed to the silvery-haired guy who said his name was Chuck E. Muckle, a vice president for Mother Mother Paula's company headquarters. He really thought he was a hotshot, Roy could tell. Ignoring the foreman and the police officer, Mr. Muckle proceeded with great enthusiasm to introduce some local big shots, the mayor, a city councilman, the head of the Chamber of Commerce. I can't tell you how proud and delighted we are to make Coconut Cove the home of our 469th family-style restaurant, Chuck said. Mr. Mayor, Councilman Grandy, all of you terrific folks who've come out this gorgeous Florida day, I'm here to promise you that Mother Paula will be a good citizen a good friend, and a good neighbor to everybody. (laughs) Unless you're an owl, Roy said. Mr. Muggle didn't hear it. Saluting the gathering of students, he said, I am truly excited to see so many of our fine young people here today. This is a historic moment for your town, our town, I should say, and we're happy you could take a short break from your classes and celebrate with us. He paused and manufactured a chuckle. (laughs) Anyway, I expect you'll be 
will be seeing most of you again once the restaurant opens and Mother Paula's busy in the kitchen. Hey, everybody, who likes licorice oatmeal pancakes? It was an awkward moment. Only the mayor and Councilman Grandy reads their hand. The girl soccer players held their homemade signs with the blank side facing out as they awaited directions from Beatrice. Chuck snickered nervously. (laughs) Mother Paula, dearest, I think it's time. Shall we do the deed? They all posed side by side, the company VP, the mayor, Mother Paula, Councilman Grandy, and the boss of the Chamber of Commerce for the television crew and the news photographer. Gold-painted shovels were handed out, and on Mr. Muckle's signal, all the dignitaries smiled, leaned over, and dug up a scoop full of sand. On cue, a smattering of city employees in the crowd cheered and applauded. It was the most bogus thing Roy had ever seen. He couldn't believe anyone would put it on TV or in a newspaper. These people, Beatrice said, need a life. As soon as, soon as the photo pose ended, Mr. Muckle tossed down his golden shovel and snatched up the megaphone. Before the bulldozers and backhoes get rolling, he said, Mother Paula herself wants to say a few words. Mother Paula did not look overjoyed to have the megaphone shoved in her hand. Uh, You've got a real nice town, she said. I'll see you next spring at the grand opening. Oh, no, you won't. This time, the words came out of Roy's mouth as a shout, and nobody was more stunned than he. A tremor rippled through the audience, and Beatrice edged closer half expecting someone to come after him. The actress, playing Mother Paula, seemed miffed, peering over her cheap wire rim glasses into the crowd. Now, who said that? Roy found himself raising his right arm. I did, Mother Paula, he called out. If you hurt a single one of our owls, I'm not eating any more of your pancakes. What are you talking about? What owls? Chuck lunged for the megaphone, but Mother Paula threw an elbow and caught him squarely in the gut. Back up. Back off, Chuck E. Cheeseball, she huffed. Hmm, I'm starting to like her more and more. <laughs> Go on, check it out for yourself, Roy said, gesturing around. Wherever you see one of those holes, there's an owl den underneath. It's where they build their nests and lay their eggs. It's their home. Chuck's cheeks turned purple. The mayor looked lost. Councilman Grady looked like he was about to faint, and the Chamber of Commerce guy looked like he'd swallowed a bar of soap. By now, the parents in the crowd were talking loudly and pointing at the den holes. A few of the school kids started chanting in support of Roy, and Beatrice's soccer teammates began waving their hand-lettered signs. One, One said, Mother Paula, doesn't give a hoot about owls. Another read, bird killers go home. And still a third sign said, save the owls, bury, bury the buttermilks. Oh, like buttermilk pancakes. As the news photographer snapped pictures of the protesters, Mother Paula pleaded, but I don't want to hurt your owls. Really, I wouldn't hurt a flea. 
Chuck finally recaptured the megaphone and boomed a harsh scolding at Roy. Young fellow, you'd better get your facts straight before making such outrageous and slanderous charges. There are no owls here. Not one. These old burrows have been abandoned for years. Yeah? Roy reached into his backpack and whipped out his mother's camera. I've got proof, he shouted, right here. The kids in the crowd hooted and hurrayed. Chuck's face went gray and slacked. He held out his arms and lurched toward Roy. Let me see that. Scooting out of reach, Roy switched on the digital camera and held his breath. He actually had no idea what he was about to see. He pressed the button to display the first photograph that mullet fingers had taken. The instant that the blurred, crooked image appeared in the viewfinder, Roy knew he was in trouble. It was the picture of a finger. Anxiously, he clicked to the second frame, and what he saw was no less discouraging, a dirty bare foot. It appeared to be a boy's foot, and Roy knew whose it was. Beatrice's stepbrother had many special talents, but nature photography obviously wasn't one of them. In desperation, Roy touched the button once more, and the third picture clicked into view. This time, there was definitely something other than a human body part visible in the frame. A distant, feathery form, unevenly illuminated by the camera's flash. Here, Roy said, look. Chuck snatched the camera from him and examined the photo for all of about three seconds before bursting into a cruel laughter. What's that supposed to be? It's an owl, Roy said. And it was an owl. Roy was certain. Unfortunately, the bird must have swiveled its head just as mullet fingers snapped the picture. Looks more like a lump of mud to me, Chuck said. He raised the camera so that those in the very front of the audience could see the viewfinder. Boy's got quite an imagination, doesn't he? He said snidely. That's an, if that's an owl, then I'm a bald eagle. But it is an owl, Roy insisted. And that picture was taken right here on this property last night. Prove it, Chuck gloated. But Roy had no response. He couldn't prove a thing. His mom's camera was passed around the fringes of the crowd, and by the time it got back to Roy, he knew that most people couldn't really tell it was a bird in the photograph. Even Beatrice wasn't sure, turning the viewfinder sideways and upside down as she tried in vain to identify a tail, the telltale part of owl anatomy. Roy was crushed. The pictures taken by her stepbrother were worthless. The authorities in charge of protecting the burrowing owls would never block construction of the pancake house based on such fuzzy evidence. Thank you very much for coming, Chuck told the crowd through his megaphone. And thanks also for your patience during this rather inconsiderate delay. We'll see all of you pancake lovers next spring for a big hearty breakfast. In the meantime, this event is now officially over. The kids from Trace Middle stirred restlessly and looked toward Beatrice and Roy, who no longer had much of a plan. Roy could feel his shoulders sagging in defeat, while Beatrice's face had become a mask of grim resignation. 
Then a young voice rose up. Wait, it ain't over. Not by a mile it ain't. This time it wasn't Roy. Uh-oh, said Beatrice, lifting her eyes. A girl in the rear of the crowd let out a shriek, and everybody wheeled at once to look. At first glance, the object on the ground could have been mistaken for a kickball, but it was actually a boy's head. His matted hair was blonde, his face was caramel brown, and his eyes were wide and unblinking. A kite string led from his lips to the handle of a large tin bucket a few feet away. The big shots came hurrying out of the crowd with Beatrice and Roy on their heels. They all stopped to gape at the head on the ground. What now? moaned the construction foreman. Chuck thundered. Is this somebody's idea of a sick joke? Good heavens, cried the mayor. Is he dead? The boy wasn't the least bit dead. He smiled up at his stepsister and winked slyly at Roy. Somehow, he'd fit his entire skinny body down the opening of an owl burrow so that only his noggin stuck out. Yo, Mother Paula, he said. The actress stepped forward hesitantly. Her wig looked slightly crooked and her makeup was beginning to melt in the humidity. What is it? she asked uneasily. You, bur you bury those owls, Mullet Finger said. You gotta bury me too. Oh, but no, I love birds, all birds. Officer Delinka, where are you? Chuck motioned for the policeman to come forward. Arrest this little creep right now. For what? Trespassing, obviously. But your company advertised this event as open to the public. Officer Delinko pointed out. If I arrest the boy, I'll have to arrest everyone else on the property, too. Roy watched as a vein in Chuck's neck swelled up and began to pulse like a garden hose. I'll be speaking to Chief Deacon about you first thing tomorrow, Chuck hissed under his breath at the patrolman. And that gives you one whole night to work on your sorry excuse for a resume. Next, he turned his withering gaze upon the forlorn foreman. Mr. Bandit, please uproot this, this stringy weed. Wouldn't try that, Beatrice's stepbrother warned through clutched jaws. Really? And why not? Chuck said. The boy smiled. Roy, do me a favor. Check out what's in the bucket. Roy was happy to oblige. What do you see? The boy asked. Uh, cottonmouth moccasins, Roy replied. How many? Nine or ten. They look happy, Roy. Uh, not really. What do you think's going to happen if I tip that thing over? With his tongue, Mullet Fingers displayed the string that connected him to the bucket. Somebody could get hurt pretty bad, Roy said, playing along. He had been mildly surprised, though relieved, to see that the reptiles in the bucket were made of rubber. Chuck stewed. This is ridiculous. Brannett, do what I told you. Get that kid out of my sight. The foreman backed away. Uh, not me. I don't care much for snakes. Really? Then you're fired. 
Once again, the vice president turned to confront Officer Delenko. Make yourself useful. Shoot those things. Uh, no, sir. Not around these people. Too dangerous. The policeman approached the boy and dropped to one knee. How'd you get here? He asked. Hopped the fence last night, then I hid under the backhoe, the boy said. You walked right past me about five times. You're the one who painted my patrol car last week? Um, no comment. And ran away from the hospital? A double no comment, the boy said. And hung your green shirt on my antenna? Man, you don't understand. The owls got no chance against those machines. I do understand. I honestly do, Officer Delenko said. One more question. You serious about the cotton mouths? Uh, serious as a heart attack. Can I have a look in the bucket? The boy's eyes flickered. It's your funeral, he said. Roy whispered to Beatrice. We gotta do something. Those snakes aren't real. Oh, oh great. As the policeman approached the tin bucket, Beatrice shouted, Don't do it! You might get bit! Officer Delenko didn't flinch. He peeked over the rim for what seemed to Roy and Beatrice like an eternity. Jigs up, Roy thought glumly. No way he won't notice they're fake. Yet, the patrolman didn't say a word as he backed away from the bucket. Well, Chuck demanded, what do we do? Kids for real, if I were you, I'd negotiate, said Officer Delenko. Ha! I don't negotiate with juvenile delinquents. With a snarl, Chuck snatched the gold-painted shovel from Councilman Grandy's hand, hands and charged toward the bucket. Don't! hollered the boy in the owl hole, spitting the string. But the man from Mother Paula's was unstoppable. With a wild swing of the shovel, he knocked over the bucket and commenced flailing and hacking at the snakes in a blind, slobbering fury. He didn't stop until they were in pieces, little rubber pieces. Exhausted, Chuck leaned over and squinted at the mutilated toy snakes. His expression reflected both disbelief and humiliation. What in the world? He wheezed. During the violent attack on the cat mouse, the crowd had ooed and awed. Now the only sounds to be heard were the click-click-click of the news photographer's camera and the panting of the Mother Paula's vice president. Hey, them snakes are fake, Curly piped. They ain't even real. Roy leaned toward Beatrice and whispered, another Einstein. Chuck pivoted in slow motion. Ominously, he pointed the blade of the shovel at the boy in the owl burrow. You, he bellowed, stalking forward. Roy jumped in front of him. Out of my way, kid, Chuck said. I don't have time for any more of your nonsense. Move it now. It was clear that Mother Paula's big shot had totally lost his cool and possibly his marbles. What are you going to do? Roy asked, knowing he probably wouldn't get a calm, patient answer. I said, get out of my way. I'm going to dig that little twerp out of the ground myself. Beatrice leaped forward and stood next to Roy, taking his right hand. 
An anxious murmur swept through the cloud. The crowd. Ah, that's real cute. Just like Romeo and Juliet. Chuck taunted. He dropped his voice and said, "Come over, kitties. On the count of three, I'm going to start using this shovel. Or better yet, how about I get Baldy over here to crank up the bulldozer?" The foreman scowled. "Thought you said I was fired." Out of nowhere. Somebody grabbed Roy's left hand. It was Garrett, his skateboard tucked under one arm. Three of his skateboarding homies were lined up beside him. What are you guys doing? Roy said. Skipping school, Garrett replied merrily. But dude, this looks like way more fun. Roy turned to see that Beatrice had been joined by the entire soccer team, linking arms in a silent chain. They were tall, strong girls who weren't the least bit intimidated by Chuck's threats. Chuck realized it, too. Stop this foolishness right now, he begged. There's no need for an ugly mob scene. Roy watched in wonderment as more and more kids slipped out of the crowd and began joining hands, forming a human barricade around Beatrice's self-buried stepbrother. None of the parents made a move to stop them. The TV cameraman announced that the demonstration was being broadcast live on the noon news while the photographer from the paper swooped in for a close-up of Chuck looking drained, defeated, and suddenly very old. He braced himself on the ceremonial shovel as if it were a cane. Didn't any of you people hear me? He rasped. This event is over. Done. You can all go home now. The mayor, Councilman Grady, and the man from the Chamber of Commerce retreated to their limousine, while Leroy Brannett plodded off to his trailer in search of a cold beer. Officer Delinko leaned against the fence, writing up a report. Roy was in an eerie yet tranquil daze. Some girls started singing a famous old folk song called This Land is Your Land. It was Beatrice, of all people, and her voice was surprisingly lovely and soft. Before long, the other kids were singing along, too. Roy shut his eyes and felt like he was floating on the sunny slope of a cloud. Excuse me, hotshot. Got room for one more? Roy blinked open his eyes and broke into a grin. Oh, sorry, that one. Sorry. Excuse me, hotshot. Got room for one more? Roy blinked open his eyes and broke into a grin. Yes, ma'am, he said. Mother Paula stepped between him and Garrett to join the circle. Her voice was gravelly, but she could carry a tune just fine. The demonstration went on for another hour. Two other TV crews showed up along with a couple of extra Coconut Cove police cruisers summoned by Officer Delinko. Chuck exhorted the newly arrived lawmen to arrest the protesters for trespassing, truancy, and disturbing the peace. The suggestion was merely rejected, a sergeant informing Chuck that handcuffing a bunch of middle school kids wouldn't be good for the public safety department's image. The situation remained fairly stable until the flamboyant arrival of Lona Leap, who'd spotted her son on the TV news. She was all dressed up like she'd been invited to a party, and she wasn't the least bit shy about sticking her no nose in front of the cameras. Roy overheard her tell a reporter how proud she was of her boy, risking his freedom to save the poor, helpless owls. He's my brave little champion, Lona crowed 
obnoxiously. With a phony squeal of affection, she charged toward the wall of humanity that encircled her son. Beatrice ordered everyone to lock arms, blocking Lona's path. There was one hairy moment when Lona and her stepdaughter stood glowering at each other, eye to eye, as if they were about to tangle. Garrett broke the standoff with a phenomenal fake fart that sent Lona reeling backward in horror. Roy nudged Beatrice, look up there. Overhead, a small dusty colored bird was flying in marvelous daring corkscrews. Roy and Beatrice watched in delight as it's Bank, as it banked lower and lower, finishing with a radical dive toward the burrow at the center of the circle. Everyone whirled to see where the bird had landed, and all of a sudden the singing stopped. There was mullet fingers trying not to giggle. The daredevil owl perched calmly on top of his head. Don't worry, little guy, the boy said. You're safe for now. And that's the end of chapter 20.